Today's passage is from the book of Matthew, chapter three. It can be found on page eight hundred and eight in the Bible around the room. When I am finished reading, I will say, "This is the word of the Lord," and you will reply, "Thanks be to God." We say this each week because we are grateful to read God's word together. Matthew three. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Elijah when he said, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight." Not on my garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and his food with locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were baptized. Were Going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, blessing the sea. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wars to come? Bear fruit and keep your goodness repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, 'We have Abraham as our father.' For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree." Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But that chaff he will bear with a Quenchable fire, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me." But Jesus answered, "Let be so now, for thus it is for us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord." Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the Bible to help us understand more. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for. Helping us to understand Jesus' grace, Jesus, you died on the cross to save us from our sins. We are so grateful for your grace and your love for us. Amen. Amen. Awesome! Wow, that was incredible. I love it. I thought, oh, there's a stool down there for me today. Wow. I love it because kids are not the, the future church. They're the church. And, uh, and they get to read the word of God over us, and they believe in the same Bible as us, and they encourage us and out of the mouth of children. Um, and you love that excitement? I love that. Brood, I'm gonna, I got to get into that. Man, I love it. And it's like sometimes you, you need a different perspective, just like when we have a different language over the scripture. You hear it differently. You receive it differently. You get excited. And I love that because I think as adults, sometimes we're just like, oh, I've heard it, been there, done that. Uh, we don't get excited. She was excited. Got me excited. 
So, man, here we go. We got a lot to take care of. I'm Pastor Mark, one of the pastors here. If you're new this morning and and uh, you're, you're you're maybe you're new to town or you're just new to church, we welcome you. We're really glad that you're here, and we're in the middle of this Advent series talking about the arrival of Jesus. Um, and and you'll see this morning we're talking about this particular theme of of what Jesus does for us and that He is our righteousness, as you heard. Lydia say in the text. Um, a couple of things before I get in the text, just, just one. Um, I know many of you are concerned and have been praying for us and our family, and we did. We got hit kind of with a blow this week out of nowhere. We've just walked through some things uh, with Christy, my wife, and just, uh, just got hit this week with potential heart failure out of nowhere. Um, we're young. I mean, I know I, I kind of look like a catcher's mitt, but um, younger, <laughs> younger than I look. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, like president before their president and then after their president. You're like, that's changed. Um, that's like before senior pastor, after senior pastor. Oh, you've been beat up. All right. So, um, but anyway, we've been dealing with a lot and you guys have been praying. Let me just say thank you. And we're doing okay. It just kind of took the winds out of our, wind out of our sail a little bit this week. And, uh, and the reality is this, there's a couple things. One is, um, Man, when I, when I preach, we preached last week on suffering, and I was thinking it was more, I'm just processing it from where we've come from. I had no idea in a few weeks we'd be right into this thing, right? And that's, I just want you to know I'm, I'm preaching the same sermon to me, that what I'm, what I'm doing up here is not this disconnected, like, this is for you. No, this is for us. And this word teaches us. And this week, what, I, what was I doing? I was going back and applying the text from last week and the fulfillment that None of this suffering will be wasted, none of it. And just applying the text, applying the word. And so we need to be here this morning. We need to be under this Bible. We need to be united by the Holy Spirit and worshiping together. Not, not because we need to remember it from a year ago, because right now, without it, we'll starve to death spiritually. And we don't even know, you don't even know, and I don't even know what Wednesday is going to hold this week. And so God is, God is doing a, a big thing. So thanks for praying, for encouraging us, for writing, texting. We just love being here, and, and we have appreciate your love so much. And keep praying because we don't, we don't have answers, and we have a little bit of a road to still walk. And, um, and I think on, on another end, you know, we think, why is this stuff coming at Christmas? As if somehow everything should kind of stop, right? Real life happens but I also think that that's a gift, too, because, um, man, I think this season I may have called out for, for God to just come and fix everything like I've never prayed before. And when you have no answers and you're in confusion, and this is why Advent is here, because we're hurting. This is why Jesus came, because we're spiritually sick, and our bodies are sick, and our world needs change, and we need a new king, and that's why Jesus has come. And so it's caused us to cry out and actually appreciate Christmas in a different way. And so, and I, and I hope us walking through that could also invite you in your stuff and in your junk to see Christ in the same way. Also, um, just by way of encouragement, next week is our, can you believe there's two Sundays before Christmas? Next week is our Christmas services. We're expecting um, a big crowd, we're ex- three services, and just to encourage you, man, like this, it, we love people, so then therefore we give out these invites. And it's not about just passing out the invites, it's about making this connection because people in our city are suffering like we're suffering, but, but without the hope of Christ. 
And so you're, that little paper is just a way for you to make a connection and say there's hope available, and we'd love to have you here. I gave out that invite. Um, I've given out a bunch, but I gave out one invite on a guy I sat next to on a plane, and, uh, and that was a couple weeks ago. And he texted me last night, and he's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm you know, still going to be there. I was like, awesome, on a plane. They're like, this is incredible. So it, people are open, and they, they want hope, and they want help. And we, that's what we believe that Jesus brings, right? So, all right. So let's get into this text. Um, in, in preparation for this text, I made a really poor decision. I went and tried to cut down a Christmas tree. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we wanted to go and cut down a tree. We've cut down lots of trees, but when we were in California, there's no snow. So that's a big difference here. And so we got, we got our tag. We were going to go bag a tree. You know, this is going to be great. It's the big hunt. And, um, and so the weekend of Thanksgiving, obviously, like the big storm happened, and we weren't going to go out in that. And so we waited. And, um, and it got to a point last Friday, it was like, this is our last day until Christmas. We're really busy. Nights are taken. I got, um, you know, two teenagers and a bunch of stuff going on and, um, and everything at the church. And it was like, this is our only time. So we took the kids out half day of school in order to go get a Christmas tree because this was all the time we had. And, um, and so I, I listened to uh, Pastor Kyle, and he told me to go up to Mount Rose and, and park at the parking lot there and then kind of cross the street and, and grab a tree, and it should be okay. Well, it wasn't okay. It wasn't all right. I was like, okay, he should have warned me. Uh, we parked, and we walked across the street, and it was it was deep snow, right? And I wasn't expecting that kind of depth of snow. We had our dog, and we had our saw, and we have our four kids, and we had Christy, who now has heart failure, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. And so we're, we're like, and the trees are like 100 yards away. We're like, well, okay, let's just deal with it and work it through. And it was like we got stuck. My son had an asthma attack, fell on his back. <gasps> Christy's like running back to the truck. That turned out to be a horrible idea. It was just bad all the way around. It was like the Griswold family Christmas. It was terrible. And I don't know what it is. It's like whenever you think of traditions, we always forget that every year they're terrible, right? We're like, it's going to be amazing, you know? And it's like our kids complain, the snow's too deep. Uh, you know, we're calling the ambulance, whatever it might be. And traditions, they always seem really great. We're going to get up to the mountains. We're going to get a tree. Well, like we were up there, and we're like, well, we're committed, and everything is going wrong. And we, we finally like march to this tree and it takes us forever and we're like dying, we're wet, we're soaking, and the sun's going down. And I'm like, this is one of those situations where you don't realize how much danger you're actually in, right? You're like, uh, I think we're about to become a statistic up here, you know? And so, man, and, and finally we bagged this tree and it is the most terrible, god-awful tree I've ever seen. I, I don't, I, like, like God's like, I didn't even grow that, you know? Like, but it's ours and we got it home and it, it, like all three branches are amazing, and uh, <laughs> and and I, cause you know, and I'm the only one that can mock it, cause you know we, we like spent life and limb for that tree. It's literally a tree I preached against the week before. Like I, like it's a naked tree, you know. You're like, oh my gosh, but it's our naked tree, and we laugh about it. <laughs> and and here's the thing, we were not prepared. Uh, we're not. We just weren't prepared. It's like, oh, we live here now. We need snowshoes. Uh, sled dogs, like we need, we got to prepare, and it's not a matter of just like driving up there, it's like four whatever feet of snow, it was crazy, we weren't prepared, it was like, how do you get prepared, you got to, you got to get some things, right, 
And, and it's a little bit like that. We're kind of all kinds of crazy. And when we think about Advent and Christmas, and it's like, I wonder, sometimes we're just not very prepared. And it turns out to be kind of spiritually chaotic. We think it's going to be amazing, but then we get on the other side of Christmas. We're like, man, I, I kind of really wasted it. I really wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. And, and we're going to see in this text here we are 30 years after Jesus is born. You might go, why are we talking about Jesus as an adult? I thought this was like, this was like infant Jesus time, right? It's because Advent is about the arrival of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus is the arrival of Jesus into public ministry. It's the arrival. It's the advent of the public ministry of Jesus. He, he came as a child, but then he was kind of just sequestered for 30 years in this little podunk town of Nazareth. And here in chapter 3, he comes onto the scene, but the very first thing that happens is, is John has to prepare things. He has to make a way for Christ to come. And that's, that's where we find ourselves. And how do we get prepared for Jesus? Verse 1, chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. In those days means a long amount of time has passed. In those days represents you know, some 28 years have gone by. Jesus is probably two, two and a half, three, and chapter two when all of this stuff is happening. And all of a sudden, uh, then now, or then these days, um, we find that they're in their 30s or almost 30, somewhere around there. And Jesus is almost 30, and, and John is almost 30, and a lot of time has passed. And, and here you have these two stories of these two babies that are born in this season of Advent. One is John the Baptist was born just before Jesus' family, and he kind of grows up. What's he been doing for 30 years? We don't know. Jesus was born right after John the Baptist. And then he's been growing up for 30 years. And what's he been doing? We don't know. And this is, this is bringing light to all of that. So these, they've kind of grown up together. And so then John the Baptist breaks into the scene. Why? Because the advent, as we've been talking about every week, is Jesus is a king, right? And every king needs a herald. Every king needs somebody to proclaim the presence of the king. Uh, any office fans here? I love, you know, the garden party where, where Dwight calls out everybody in the loudest voice possible as they come to the garden party. I love that scene. It's the best. It's the absolute best because he reads the book Jim wrote about the ultimate guy to throw in a garden party, <laughs> right? And it's the more honor is bestowed, the louder that you are. Right? That was, the, that was the lesson of chapter 2. And so then Dwight just yells out everybody's name. as they're, That's what John the Baptist is doing. He's the Dwight of the first century. Right? Jesus is here! You know, like that's what he's doing. Because every king needs a herald. And John the Baptist is Jesus' herald. So that's what he's doing. And then he, we're given a job description here. If you go down to verse 3 for this is who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So this herald, John the Baptist, comes in a long line of promise. He's a, he himself is part of the prophecy, part of the, the revealing of Jesus. And then you have this little quote from Isaiah that's applied to John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. One of the ways you'll know when Jesus arrives is you'll have this herald preparing the way of Jesus. And this was John the Baptist's job description. Make Jesus' path straight. 
We still do that for important people, right? You, you think the presidential motorcade sits in traffic? No, no way. They clear the roads. They will, they will shut it down, right? Like you will sit in traffic for days because that guy doesn't have to, you know? Like that's, that's how we'd still do that. The president, he doesn't have to sit in traffic. We do. He doesn't. Why? Be, because he represents this authority and power in his office as president of the United States. We still do this. And this is what a, a king doesn't sit in traffic. And this is what John is doing. John is preparing this road. I, had, I have a friend. He's a Secret Service agent. And um, he worked with Bush and the Bush detail lived at the, uh, at the ranch in Texas. And uh, really, really great guy. But he would, he would often have to go before a presidential trip up to a month ahead of time. In fact, when, when President Bush came to the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, my friend was there for a month before his arrival. And he was only there for like a day or a day and a half. And it took a month of preparation before the president showed up. I flew out to Salt Lake City and was got to be a part of him, got to wave to the president. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'll sign a signature or something later. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, but it was amazing. And he told me all this secret work that happens behind the scene for just one little trip. And there's people going all over the world for trips that haven't happened yet. Why? To prepare the way, to do the work and the effort to prepare the way. That's what, that's what John's doing, except here's the difference. John isn't clearing the physical roads. He's clearing the road of the heart. He's, see, this king is different than other kings. It's not about triumphal entry into a city and with fanfare and the whole thing and halting traffic. It is a, it is a spiritual king. And John comes to prepare the heart spiritually for the arrival of Jesus. What's amazing is, do you know that the arrival of Jesus takes preparation? It takes readiness. And to receive the advent of Jesus takes a spiritual readiness, which means this, if we're not mindful of this season, especially as Christmas is coming upon us and and as we walk through this Advent series, we just kind of throw this on as many, many of the many things that we're all about. But we're not spiritually ready to receive Jesus. And John has come as this herald to make the path straight. But it's a spiritual path. And it's a spiritual kingdom. Look what he says in verse 2. Here's his sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his, that's his sermon. He's out. He's baptizing. We'll get to that in a second. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice a couple things. This, I think, is amazing because he doesn't say, repent for the king is at hand. Did you notice that? Why? Because we're not just waiting for a king to show up to be somebody that we worship. We're waiting for a king and the fullness of his kingdom to show up. And that a king has a kingdom and it's a reminder right in the beginning that something needs to happen in us in order for us to embrace not only the king, but the kingdom of that king. And that to receive the king is to receive something far greater, to receive the kingdom that that king rules. Which is a great reminder for us because maybe our focus is we, we get so focused on just receiving Jesus, but we think, oh, I can just add Jesus to my life and I can live 
in whatever kind of rule I want. But you cannot have Jesus without having Jesus' kingdom. And so John's like, look, it's, it's about a king arriving, but it's, it's, it's more than just a king arriving. It's the entire kingdom of God that we get to be a part of. And being a part of this kingdom takes readiness and preparation. So John says, repent. Repent. John is making the path straight. What is the straight path to Jesus? Repentance. See that? The straight path to Jesus is repentance. That's what John's there to do. Hey, I'm here to make a straight path for King Jesus. Here's the road. Here's the path. And it's repentance. And, and here's what repentance is. And, and the whole first part of chapter 3 all the way to verse 15 is all about repentance. And I'll pull out just a couple of things. But it's all about repentance. And that the, the path to Jesus is, is not uh, all the other little thing. It's turning. And repentance means two kinds of turning. And you may have heard this before. But repentance is not just merely saying, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is literally turning away from one thing and turning towards another thing. And that, that repentance, it, it encompasses both and. You've got to turn from a thing and you've got to turn towards a thing. You, you have to, it's not about just emptying the desire. It's about filling up the desire with a new desire, right? That's repentance. And so when John comes on the scene, he's baptizing, and all this kind of stuff is happening. What's he doing? He's preparing the way. And the straight way to the Lord is repentance versus law and legalism and all the other kind of things that people were doing at the time. Specific worship practices and cultic activities and whatever that looked like. No, no. John's like, here's the way to Jesus, repentance. Now, the, the rest of this text breaks down this, and, and, and you'll see there's a turning away and a turning towards. And the first thing that we're being encouraged to turn away from as John is baptizing and preparing this way for people, for the arrival, because Jesus hasn't arrived on the scene yet. That comes in verse 16. He tells us, here's how to get ready for Jesus. First, you have to turn away from the law and every law. You have to turn away from the law of God and every law to save. That's, that's what he does first. Listen, when John comes and baptizes, starts to baptize, this is the first time baptism happens. Baptism has been a long-standing tradition in Judaism. When John comes and baptizes, he's baptizing a new baptism. He's doing something that's never been done before, but baptism had always been done. And here's what baptism was. Baptism was when somebody from a pagan nation or from another god um, or was uh, not born into Judaism, but, but maybe worshipped whatever god of the nation that they were born into, if, if they ended up seeing the god of the Bible or the, uh, of the Hebrew people as the true God, if they ended up seeing God, then they would be baptized out of their paganism and baptized into Judaism as a proselyte. And baptism existed, and it existed in this form. You would be baptized from, from irreligious living, meaning no law of God, 
You just worshiped anything. And you were being baptized into the law of God. That's what baptism. And, and to be baptized into the law would bring you into Judaism or bring you in uh, to, to the covenant people of God. And, and we do this, right? The U.S. is known as a law of, or a land of laws, right? I have a, I have a sister-in-law, uh, and she's from the Philippines, and she had to go through all the naturalization and all of that. And, and then we went to the day in which they went through the ceremony, and, and, and she agreed to the laws of the U.S. and to defend the Constitution. And what was she doing? She was repenting from the laws where she came from because that was no longer her nation. And she was, she was repenting or turning away from those old laws and, and turning to the laws of the United States, right? That's what she was doing. That's what John is saying is you got to turn away from what? You got to turn away from the law. Where do we get that from? Because John is baptizing in a new way. What's he doing? John's out in the wilderness. Why? Because it would have been dangerous for him to be in the city. Because he's baptizing Jews out of the law and into grace. See, when John arrives on the scene, he goes, repent for the kingdom of his hand. Repentance is far different than assume the laws of the land. He's going, no, no, it's no you can't be saved by the laws anymore. And instead of baptizing you into these laws, which you believed would save you, John is baptizing people out of those laws into the grace of God, which saves you. And so this baptism is scandalous, which is why the religious leaders show up and cause all kinds of problems. Because literally, John is baptizing people out of the law of God to save. Now, he... He's not diminishing the law of God. The law of God is very, very good. Jesus comes along and says, I'm not erasing any of the law of God, but the law of God cannot save you. The law of God cannot bring you into the kingdom. So he says, repent for the kingdom, which is a belonging phrase. The kingdom of God is here. How? And if you're interested in the kingdom of God, how do you become part of the kingdom of God? It comes through a baptism of repentance. It comes through a turning away from the belief that a law or whatever law will save you. That's amazing, which is why it causes such a problem. And you'll see this in the text. Verse 7, when he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees, what do they represent? They they represent the experts of the law. They represent the people that went far and beyond to make sure that they didn't even border up against the law just in case they accidentally broke it. These are the people who went so far, they added law on top of law just to make sure that they followed the law of God successfully so that by the law they would be saved. These are the people who believed that they were good enough for God to receive into the kingdom. But John says, no, 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 it's repentance and a baptism into the grace of God, not into the law of God. And so then the Sadducees are there and they're coming to his baptism. And and then what? And and like Lydia, you brood of vipers. This is road rage language, by the way. You know, like when nobody's listening and you're just in your car and somebody cuts you off and the words that you say? That's what John's doing right now. This is... This is road rage language right here. It's like, nobody heard me, you know? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
And then what does he say to the religious people who love the law? We're all about the law of God. Verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with the law. No, 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 no. repentance. Does he say bear fruit in keeping with the law? No, bear fruit in keeping with the grace of God. Meaning you've turned from the law. You're, you're bearing fruit and maintaining your perfection according to the laws of God. But the way into the kingdom, the way into this kingdom, the way into the heart of this king is only through repentance. Instead of, instead of bearing fruit and keeping with the law, it's bearing fruit and keeping with the grace of God. That's completely different. You're turning away from this thing that says you can be saved by the good deeds of your life. Reject that. That's what baptism, this is what this whole new baptism is, a baptism out of that. And then do not presume to say, verse 9, to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What's he saying? He goes, you're working the law in order to, to, to be part of the kingdom is not necessary. I, God can raise up rocks. You, you need a different baptism. You need a different road. And the road to the kingdom of God is, the law was meant to be a tool to that end, to expose the heart, to bring us to the point where we're like, I can't follow the law. And it's like, yeah, of course, that's why the way to the kingdom isn't the law. It's, it's through repentance, the recognition that the law can't save you. And even now, verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit. It's cut down and thrown in the fire. Now, if you read that and go, oh, my gosh, as a Christian, I better bear more fruit. I better do more. I don't want, I don't want to get cut down at the end of this, you know. I like my height. I don't want to lose any. And, and, and sometimes you'll read that and we'll use this in discipleship of other Christians and we'll pull it out of context and we're like, see, you've you got to bear fruit in order not to be cut down. But the context is not more law. The context is repentance and grace. So now go to verse 10, and he's speaking to the religious, the people that thought the law would save the actions of their life, the behaviors of their, uh, of their hands and body and, and mouth would save them, the goodness of their own person. But verse 10 even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. What's the good fruit? Bearing good fruit in what? Keeping with repentance. Somebody say repentance. That's, here's what he's saying. If you try to enter the kingdom with your good works, you will be cut down. You need a different baptism. You, you need another way. You need another straight road to the kingdom, and that is repentance. So on one side of repentance is a turning away from what? From the law. Now, you might go, Pastor Mark, listen, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know if I believe this yet. I'm not even worried about the law of God. I've never been worried about the law of God. Fair enough. But you live by a law. Most people live by a law of, of morally good work. Like if I just do more good than I do bad, then God has to receive me in the kingdom. The baptism of John would say no. The baptism of John would say, that is not bearing fruit and keeping repentance. That's bearing fruit by obeying a law. Now, whether it's God's law or whether it's a law of your own, whether it's God's law or it's cultural law, 
whether it's political law, whether, whether it's, it's just generally like, I just want to be a good person and do no harm and coexist. These are all laws. And, and we believe that if I just follow these laws, these bumper sticker laws, then God has to accept me. How many people have you met that just said, I'm just going to live a good life. So at the end of this life, God has to accept me. I hear that a lot. And it breaks my heart because that is the very opposite of the straight path to the kingdom. And, and it's way more complicated because the way to the kingdom is through turning away from the law which saves. Which means going, oh God, here I am. I, I, I'm trying to do the best I can, and I believe that if I do my best, then God will find more favor in me. I believe if I read my Bible, God will find more favor in me. I, I believe if I pray, God will like me more. These are laws, and the only way to the kingdom is to reject those laws as the thing that will save you or bring you favor, which you will see. How does God ultimately get pleased? He gets pleased through Jesus. That's the last verse. We'll get there. So whether it's the law of God or maybe you're like, I'm not a Christian, but you're living by a law. And most Christians would rather live by their own law anyway than the law of God. Either way, they both can't save you. So we need a baptism of repentance. We need to turn away from being saved by our moral effort, our moral behavior, our moral goodness. The second part is turning to something. Look at in verse 11, I baptize you with water. For, the, for repentance. So here's John. He's preaching again. This whole crowd is out here. He just cussed out some Sadducees and Pharisees, right? And he's like, look, everybody, I just want to clarify, just so you don't get confused. Now, here's the issue. The issue at hand is there are things like a baptism of repentance that will ultimately become a law if we put our faith in the baptism. And here, John wants to bring some clarity that even baptism and repentance can't be the law that saves you. Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? Not even baptism itself, not, not even the right Christian things are the actual thing that saves you. So he says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you see what John's doing? John's going, this is a ceremony of repentance. You are baptizing into the grace of God. And the grace of God is the road that leads into the kingdom of God. So that's what this baptism's about. But don't believe in the baptism. Whatever you do. And because our heart always makes it a law, right? You're like, oh, okay, God loves, God, God loves it when I do spiritual things. I'll do spiritual things all day long, you know? PTL, like I text it, you know, because that's a, that's a spiritual thing. It makes my text holy. PTL, praise the Lord. I use words or whatever as I'm talking to people just, or, or the way I pray just to make sure I cover my bases because, you know, we were told that if we pray in Jesus' name, then it'll be mine. And so in Jesus' name, I pray. You know, it's like nobody prayed like that in the Bible, by the way. Nobody did. Nobody said, in Jesus' name, amen. But we do it. <laughs> Why? Because somewhere in us, we're like, okay, I better do the same thing. And we, we trick our, our, our mind into believing that these are the things that save us. Well, they're not bad. I'm, pray in Jesus' name. Do it. But, but be intentional about it. Is it just a, a, just a slogan you put at the end of your prayers if that makes your prayer magic? And God's like, you didn't say in Jesus' name. You know? 
That's the devil. And that's when you go, well, I didn't get baptized into a law. I got baptized into grace. So I pray in grace. So then what, what's the whole point here? We turn away from the law and we turn towards what? And, and, and so look at what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance, which means he's, he's showing the limitations of his ability. Do you see that? He's like, this is just water, yo. <laughs> I can't, it's, it's dirty. It's the Jordan. I can't, it's just water. It's just water. Don't believe that it's more than it is. Don't you love that? Because we always make laws of things. And we're like, well, if I do that, if I do that, if I do that, I'll lose weight. If I do that, God will love me, right? Whatever. And it's like, no, no, this is just water. But he who is coming, do you see how he deflects? Don't believe in the baptism, but look to the he. He who is coming after me is mightier than I am. You think I'm all great out here wearing my clothes of camel? I know it's hot fashion. But, but don't, you know, don't, don't believe in me. Don't believe in me. I love this. This is a part of my prayer as a preacher. It's like, man, I, I know that at preaching the Bible, you can come off in a certain way. I, I'm not, not anything different or more than you are. He who is coming, he who has come, he who has advented, he who has arrived is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. And then Louis says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, what are we talking about? It means we're turning to the one who literally has the power to save and transform us. We recognize this in our lives right now today. We are limited. We can change things, but we cannot transform things. You see the difference? You can change your location, where you live, where you work. You can change who you're dating. I mean, you, you can change different aspects of your life and how you spend money. You can change your Christmas gift if somebody finds it early. That's my policy. Um, you can change things around you. But, but, but you can't change. You can't transform yourself. You, your heart remains the same. How many of you have tried to change the way that you feel about things? You can't. How many of you have tried to change the cycles of, of immaturity and sin and, and the, the running away of God and these cycles we find ourselves in? It's like, why can't I change? How many you have an addiction Alcohol, drugs, TV, how you spend your time. You're like, I just can't transform. Yeah, that's right. And you're like, man, what's wrong with me? Everything is wrong with you. You're jacked. That's, it's inherent in the system. And this is what I love about Advent is if you don't have any sense that you need something outside of yourself, Christmas will mean nothing. And that's the point. John's like, turn away from the law. There's no salvation in the law. Turn towards the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, effectual transformation, and fire. Isn't that amazing? Now, some people will say, well, th this is just foreshadowing the, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and there's tongues of fire. And there is similar language, but the problem is, is there's no apostles here. John's not talking to apostles. He's talking to a crowd of peasants. And he's going, look at you guys. You think you're nothing. You're, you're, you think you're not the Pharisees, Sadducees. Those guys have an edge that you don't have. Let me tell you this. 
Jesus. In a, in a, if you turn away from the law, turn towards the king in repentance, you know what? The Holy Spirit becomes yours. You know what? Fire is yours. Refining, transformation, change. So we turn away from the law which can't save and we turn towards Christ who can save by realizing that we need something that's outside of ourselves to transform because I'm totally limited. It's just a baptism of repentance. It's just water. We need something greater than water. Now, that's, that's the main thought of this section. There's so much, so much other stuff going on. But here's how the passage changes. Look at Jesus arrives on the scene. And John just spent all this time talking about how we prepare for Jesus, but then how the passage ends is how Jesus prepares for you. And it is so good. Do you know how Jesus prepares for you? He gets baptized. Why is that significant? Look at in verse 16. Uh, or sorry, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So the, all this stuff in chapter 3 has been happening. It's ongoing. If you go back to the language, it's like, and he continually is baptizing out in the wilderness. This is a thing that's been going on for a while. People are coming out to, to be baptized out of Judaism and into the grace and the kingdom of God. It's, it's amazing. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And then Jesus comes to John and says, hey, brah, baptize me. It's my translation. And Jesus says, hey, baptize me. Now, if you're preaching a baptism of repentance and the perfect Savior comes to you and says, baptize me. You're like, wait, wait, what? It's a baptism of repentance, J-Dog. And Jesus is like, no, I know, baptize me. Baptize me. Not amazing. It's a baptism of repentance, yet Jesus comes and shows up who doesn't need to repent of anything and says, baptize me. Why? Because Jesus is preparing himself for us. And this is what I love about the gospel is that we, and about the true God is that we have a God that isn't just asking us to prepare for him, but in fact, he goes the extra mile and he does the preparation for us. And Jesus comes and prepares what? Prepares a kingdom that we can live and belong to. And he does this by first completing or fulfilling all righteousness for us. Verse 15, but Jesus answered him. So John's like, whoa, Jesus, no, no, you baptize me. And he's like, no, no, John, baptize me so that we can fulfill. Remember this word fulfill we talked about last week, to bring about, to bring about, to, to, to accomplish, to complete. What? Let it be so now, baptize me. Why? Because it's fitting to complete or bring about all righteousness. John's trying to prevent it, which is also, isn't it amazing how many people who were near Jesus that tried to prevent Jesus from his mission? And, and, they're, and, you know, like we think of John the Baptist, like, I'm not baptizing you, you baptize me. And Jesus is like, do you want to be righteous, bro? Okay. Or then later, when we, we have Peter, and Peter's like, you're not going to die. <laughs> He's like, get behind me, Satan, right? And, and why? Because we intrinsically try to not make Jesus our savior. And we intrinsically try to save Jesus. You see that? Peter does it. John does it. Others do it. We're like, no, no, you don't need to be baptized. No, no, you don't need to die. And Jesus is like, no, literally I need to die. 
Why? Because then you won't be saved. Literally, I need to be baptized into a baptism of repentance. Why? Otherwise, you will not be made righteous. So then Jesus, he prepares for us by completing all needed righteousness. Think about this phrase. Everything that God has ever asked of us in the law of God, Jesus fulfilled. Every single thing that God has asked us to do, God has fulfilled for us. This is the righteousness. Now the key here that we need to know is this righteousness is that the life and death of Jesus does not merely make us neutral. See, if Jesus just came and showed up and and then went right to the cross, like he, he you know, uh, incarnated as a 30-year-old as a man and went right to the cross and died, that would have been useful. But what would it have done? It would have just completed the, the punishment of our sin, and it would have made us, like Adam and Eve, neutral, meaning that we would have been capable of sinning again and, and, and derailing the righteousness that we gained through the cross. But Jesus didn't come just to make us neutral. He came to make us righteous which means not just neutrality, but fulfilling all demands that the law of God has placed on humanity to make us righteous. This is why Jesus had to come as a baby. Why? Some people are like, what did Jesus do for 30 years? He obeyed the law of God. Do you know what he was doing in a podunk town as a carpenter? Obeying the law of God. Do you know how hard it is to obey the law of God when you hit your hand with a hammer? He was obeying the law of God. For 30 years, he was obeying. For 30 years, perfectly fulfilling the law. For 30 years of his life, that's what he was doing. And every moment, we're like, what did he do all those years? He was, he was going, I'm, I'm fulfilling the law. I'm obeying the law. I am, I am remaining righteous for the sake of everybody after me who will be found in my death and resurrection so that they will not only be neutral, but that they will be righteous forever. And for 30 years, that's why he was born as a baby. So that in every stage of humanity, he perfectly obeyed the law of God for us. That's what he was doing. So that what? So that he could show up and be baptized and fulfill the law of God so that we weren't just neutral before God, but that we were absolutely righteous before God. So he prepares for us. See, we... We talk a lot about the death and the resurrection, but we forget about the active obedience of Jesus. The theologians call it passive obedience when he went to the cross and suffered and died and rose from the dead. The active obedience of God is God's intentionality or Jesus' intentionality to follow every single law, every single day, every single minute, every single hour. He never sinned. He was never faithless. He never forgot. He never did one, think about it. He never did one single ill-motived action. He never for one second glorified himself in whatever he was doing instead of glorifying the Father in heaven. He never did that. He never took the Lord's name in vain. He, he never coveted a neighbor. He, 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 he went through every stage of life holding the, the righteous law so that he could give you his righteousness. That's what he was preparing for. Secondly, he was preparing for us by being claimed as God's 
son. Look at him, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then, 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. So you have the Trinity here, by the way. Just you keep in mind, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all present at one time. The Son is standing there, and God's voice comes from heaven, and a dove comes from heaven and rests on his shoulder. You have the entire Trinity right there for this entire crowd to see. Luke tells us that it was the that it that the Holy Spirit came in the body of a dove that this was physical, it was evident, it was visible, and it wasn't for Jesus, right? Do you think Jesus needed this moment? No. Do you think he, he didn't question who he was? He wasn't like, oh, I'm a son, awesome. You know, like, it, what, who was it for? It was for the crowd. Why? Well, there, there's all kinds of things, but here's, I want to I hang on this idea of this is my beloved son. Jesus prepares for us by being claimed. Now, I'm saying this intentionally. Jesus prepares for us by being claimed as God's beloved son. Why? Well, in in almost every culture, there's, there's been gods. And then there has, in some cultures, like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, which would have been all the rage, right? The, the Greek age just left, and now we're in the Roman age here in chapter 3. Both of them teach something similar, which is if you are a son of a god, then the only way for that to be substantiated is at some point that god has to claim you as a son. Have anybody ever seen Lightning Thief, Percy? There's a great scene, right? He's, he's the son of Poseidon but doesn't know it. And then he's at, then he's at like, uh, you know, half God camp. And, uh, and, then, and then what happens? They're like in a circle and then this green trident comes out of the sky and comes up in front of, right? And it's a sign. It's a symbol. And then what do they do? They all bow because he's a son of one of the big three. And so I love in this story, you got to read it, but you, you can see this mythology at work that the, the, the God Poseidon has to claim his son, Percy, and he does it with a trident, and then everybody bows and worships. And in this culture, you would have some familiarity with that idea, except here, what happens? God is claiming a God, the true God, begins, it claims a son, a human son, as his own son. Isn't that amazing? Except it's not a trident, tri- a trident or a, like a symbol of a God. It isn't something uh, w- w- without personality or nature. It's God himself in the form of a dove comes down. It's God himself comes and claims Jesus as his own son. It's an amazing moment. Why? Not for Jesus because he knew he was the son, but for the crowd to substantiate that this is the son of God. This is the king. This is the one you're turning to. This is the one that'll change everything. This is the one in which repentance is the straight path to. Why? He was claimed as a son for us by the Spirit of God himself and by the voice so that everybody there would know that this is Christ. Thirdly, he prepares for us by being the son 
who pleases his dad in heaven for us. See, righteousness, Jesus perfectly obeys the law and gives it to us in our faith so that we perfectly obey the law. Isn't that amazing? He claims Jesus as a son. Why? So that when we unite ourselves to the son, we are claimed into the family also. And he prepares for us by pleasing God perfectly. Why? So that from eternal future, God is looking and we fully please God through Christ. Jesus is preparing for us by giving us righteousness, by giving us union with God in sonship and daughtership, and then giving us the pleasure of God, even though we don't deserve it, and even though we don't get it, and even though we've never really pleased God, it becomes ours through Jesus because Jesus pleased God for us. And, and from, ex, from God's pleasure extended to us from a completed eternal future through Christ. That's amazing. Now, that doesn't mean God loves everything that you do. There's a false theology out there. It's like, well, God is totally pleased with me, so then it doesn't really matter what I do. No, that's not true. The pleasure that's being talked about here is the pleasure that God has in you to save you as a son or a daughter. It is not relational pleasure. God, God you could grieve the Holy Spirit in the decisions of your life. That is not God being pleased with your everyday life. But the pleasure of God, this pleasure, is above that pleasure. So even though in your everyday life, we wrestle with God, we displease God, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit, we, we deny God at different parts in our life, the, the hope is not in our immediate pleasure as God pleased with me here and now, but in the ultimate pleasure that becomes ours through Jesus. So that you never worry whether or not your displeasing of God by the actions of your day will ultimately unadopt you from the kingdom of God. Because he's fully pleased. Which is why we ought to love holiness. Because we've already been made holy. And our decisions reflect the perfect nature of the favor that we have with God. It doesn't make sense to live out of favor of God when we've been given complete favor of God. We prepare for Jesus. We prepare for the arrival of Jesus through a road of repentance, turning away from the things that we think save us, turning to Christ who can save us, the, the work of the Holy Spirit really transform us. But the greater good is God has prepared himself for us by fulfilling all righteousness, by being claimed as a son so that you can be claimed as a son and you can please God for eternity through your faith in Christ because of the righteousness that he's given you. And that's what we're being invited to this morning. This morning, the ask for us is repent. Not Not some religious thing. It's recognizing that you believe something will save you. You believe being something will save you. You believe in in whatever it might be that makes you good before God. And that is not the road to the kingdom of heaven. It is a baptism of repentance. And you're invited to this God who has done all the work to prepare for you.
through faith and trust that what he did is enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks God for this morning, for your love, your grace, your goodness, your kindness to us that leads us to repentance. And I pray God this morning, all of us can reject the, the moral laws that we follow, the idea that if I do enough, I will please you. The idea that if my life is spiritual enough, I will, I will find favor in you and reject all of that idea to receive a baptism of repentance, turning away from whatever law I believe in to the, to the, the act of repentance, turning towards Christ who can save, who's prepared heaven for me by being righteousness for my sake. Thank you, Jesus, in your name.